You're listening to This Naked Mind with Annie Grace. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to This Naked Mind podcast. And today I actually want to give you an update on all things This Naked Mind, like where we've been, where we're going, what the the newest is. And so I wanted to take the opportunity to do that. And to do that, if you are newer here or you're unfamiliar with kind of how this Naked Mind originated, I'm going to take a few minutes to go all the way back in time and give you kind of the brief, brief overview. So this Naked Mind is solely from my own story. I do have a master's degree in science, but it has nothing to do with anything that I teach at This Naked Mind. And what happened was I found myself drinking more than two bottles of wine a night, feeling completely stuck and trying to do what you would logically think you should do, which is drink less alcohol. But here's the thing. I didn't find that easy. In fact, I found it incredibly difficult. I would do things like make rules for myself and break those rules and then beat myself up about that. And I entered into this time of really a downward spiral of pain and shame and blame. And it got to the point where I would look in the mirror and I couldn't even meet my own eye contact because I hated so much that this fermented liquid in a glass that I I knew was just a drink had so much control over me that I found myself unable to or unwilling to not drink it. And I was able to take breaks for short periods of time, but they felt like alcohol diets. I felt deprived. I felt like I was missing out. I felt like I was outside of all of society, my friendship groups, my networking groups. And I would just feel constantly depressed if I wasn't drinking. This was the most poignant during the two pregnancies I was a drinker through where I would literally not even want to go to some of the most fun things or events that we'd get invited to because I wasn't able to drink. And one day I was coming back from the UK. We had been living back and forth between the US and the UK at this time with our family. And I was coming back from the UK. I was by myself and I'd I'd gotten super drunk the night before. I'd had more drinks at breakfast at the hotel. And so I was not only hungover, but I was also drunk and I was sitting in the airport and it was as if I'd been asking myself these same questions over and over and over again. These questions were, what's wrong with you? Are you an alcoholic? What's your problem? Don't you care about your husband or your kids? Like, this is terrible. I I had so much fear. And in that moment, I asked myself a different question. And that question was why? Why did I used to be able to take it or leave it? And now it felt like alcohol was my best friend. Why did it used to be that I didn't feel like I needed alcohol to the things that in my life now, I felt like I couldn't do alcohol without, I couldn't network without alcohol. I wasn't good at my job without alcohol. I couldn't have fun without a drink. I couldn't loosen up in the bedroom without a few glasses of wine. All of these things that felt so true and so poignant that didn't used to be. And this question, why? It was infused with what I didn't know at the time, which was just curiosity. So instead of judging myself, which I had been doing so critically and so harshly, I put down the judgment. I put down the the shame and the blame just for a few seconds in order to awaken enough curiosity to ask the question, why? And it was that question, why, that launched everything that this naked mind has now become. This naked mind My books have collectively sold over 1.1 million copies. I have a free alcohol experiment, alcoholexperiment.com that is free and always will be. It is a labor of love. It has had almost 500,000 people go through it. And I've been in literally every single media channel that I can imagine. I was on Good Morning America, 
four times I've been on Nightline, ABC News, NBC News, CNN. I've been in Newsweek. I've been on the New York Post, the New York Daily News. I've been on all sorts of international news outlets and stations, Rolling Stone Magazine, People Magazine, Oprah Magazine, Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, you name it. Uh, I have been on it because what happened when I asked the question why was I actually kicked off something really magical. And that was a completely new and different way of thinking about our relationship with alcohol collectively. Because that question why for me was so, it really stopped me in my tracks. I was like, wait, why? And so I decided to start at the beginning and look at it like a research problem. And I'm insatiably curious about so much else in my life. I just hadn't been curious about alcohol in this way until that point. And so I said, well, how am I going to answer this question? First, I'm going to write down every single reason that I drink. And I had a list and I wrote down every single reason I drank. And then I asked my friends all of the reasons that they drank. And we wrote down all the reasons that they drank. And I started to, we live in this beautiful day and age where you can go and for 50, 100, $250, you can download basically any scientific study on the planet. And you can start to understand, are these things true? So something like alcohol relaxes you. Is it true? You start to look it up. You start to realize that the response body's response to alcohol is to create a cortisol response. I know cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone. It's to create an adrenaline response. I know adrenaline. Adrenaline is, you know, like a fight or flight hormone. It doesn't always feel good in the body, even though certainly it can feel fun on a roller coaster. It's not where you want to live. Part of adrenal fatigue, right? All of a sudden I started realizing that the anxiety that I had lived with for a very long time, alcohol was making it so much worse. I learned that the 20 minutes of kind of a buzz that I got from a drink was replaced with two to three hours of a real downer feeling that I just drink more to cover up. I learned that alcohol not only doesn't make things more fun, but actually neurochemically would be constantly stealing my brain's ability to have fun. And I remember going through this year of research and every turn, I must've been so miserable to be around because I'd be like, oh my gosh, look at this study. Did you guys know this? Did you understand this? This is incredible. I can't believe this exists. And I was just so out of my mind, excited about what I was learning. And I had done something else in that moment where I had stopped, got off the cycle of trying to drink less because that cycle was creating so much noise in my brain, so much what I now know of as cognitive dissonance. It was so loud in my head, both, yes, you should drink, it's no big deal, you can try again tomorrow, and waking up in the morning with this voice of, what is wrong with you, you're a piece of crap, this is disgusting, don't you care about anyone or anything? And so I just put that all aside. I did something really radical that I didn't know was really radical at the time because I was not from a recovery background. I wasn't from a mental health background, but I stopped trying to stop drinking. I got off the alcohol diet and I committed myself instead entirely to curiosity, to understanding why. And something magical started to happen is I started to have compassion for myself because I understood that neurochemically, like this isn't actually my fault. I actually am just a being with brain cells and bones and blood and flesh and beings when exposed to toxic and, you know, addictive substances get addicted. Like, and I started to read these studies where compassion started to awaken inside of me. I realized that, you know, I had been doing the best I can with the tools that I had. I'd just been given by society, by so many sources, this wrong tool, this tool of alcohol. And this was incredible. And 
what started to happen without me even noticing was how much I was drinking became less and less and less until one day I walked out of my office and I told my husband, if you want to drink with me again, tonight's night, because after tonight, I don't think I'm going to drink anymore. And he looked at me and he did not believe me. We actually just did a podcast together if you want to get his reaction on that, but he did not believe me. And sure enough, aside from my alcohol experiment, that was the last drink that I had. And that is almost nine years ago as of the recording of this video. And so much has happened since then. I took all my research. I put it out. Just, I put it all in a PDF and I slapped it on a website. I didn't even know how to get email addresses. I didn't have anything set up in the back end. I just wanted to get it into a place where people could download it if they wanted it. I shared it in a few of the different groups I was in and more than 20,000 people downloaded that PDF in the first two weeks. It just took off like wildfire. It went viral. Somebody actually wrote me and said, Hey, Annie, you need to make this a book. And I was like, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't have a platform. I don't have an audience. And he said, you know, you could self-publish. And I was like, all right. So I looked into it and I self-published This Naked Mind in October of 2015. It was self-published. The same thing happened. It started selling like crazy word of mouth. Eventually there were 60,000 copies that were sold. And I started getting calls from the big five publishers. I found an agent. It went to auction. All of the big five publishers got into an auction <laughs> for This Naked Mind and my next book, The Alcohol Experiment. And I ended up publishing traditionally with Penguin Random House in 2019. During that entire time, I was asked by a psychologist at the National Health Services in the UK if he could put my method into his practice and if I had a certification. And I said, I don't, but would you want to help me build one? And he said, yes. And so we kicked off together the process of building what has now become this Naked Mind Institute. And we have certified hundreds of coaches in the methodology and in the practice. And so that's kind of where we've been to date. And very recently, some really cool and interesting things have happened. So I kind of found out these things needed to be in place by a bit of trial and error. And here's, here's what I mean by that. I started getting some really interesting phone calls. I got a call right before the pandemic hit, so it didn't actually fle flesh out and happen, but I got a call from the Air Force and they wanted me to be a keynote speaker for all 183 of their rehab treatment centers on the term alcoholic and how that term might actually be harmful rather than helpful to our society. And so we were going through all of the paperwork to make that happen and the whole world shut down for the pandemic. So that never ended up happening, but I did end up working during the pandemic with different other branches of the military in order to bring my work to places where they couldn't actually go in for treatment centers. And I was sent this letter of, of commendation and all of these things to express their gratitude. I started getting interest from rehab centers and uh, specifically from a company that does efficacy for rehab centers because they started to notice that my work was, was really very, like it worked really well. And I, at the same time, a lot of my coaches were actually either medical doctors, some of them were, were therapists, counselors, a lot of PhDs, and some of those coaches got together and they formed sort of a like independent collective to say, I, we want to research your work. So we actually did a bit of research. We put out surveys to the audience and basically asked two simple questions. It was statistically significant. Thousands of people responded and the questions were, how has your drinking changed since you've come into contact with this naked mind? And the results were staggering even to me because I knew it worked, but I didn't know how well. And 54% of people responded that they no longer drink. And that is compared to, I was told that the average rehab success rate is about 
And 36 additional percentage of people said they drank less. That was 90% of people had changed their relationship with alcohol significantly since coming into contact with this naked mind. Now, further than that, I asked the question, has your mental health improved? And 86.5% of people said their mental health has improved since coming into contact with my work. And so this was absolutely incredible and so many things were going on. And I went down a road with a famous uh, and very large brain hospital, Brain Science Institute. And we were really trying to understand they wanted to study my work more formally. And they asked me, what is, what is your theorem? Like, what is your academic articulation? What is the thing? You know, if, if you think of it like a computer, what is the Intel inside or the chassis? What is the thing that makes this naked mind work? And so I put together this deck and it was just a bunch of principles. I'm like, well, I know curiosity is really important. I know compassion is really important. I know that focusing on emotion rather than focusing on behavior is really important. I know that when we when we prioritize shame and blame and try to move away from change, it only works in the short term. I know that fear doesn't actually work in the long term. And so I had all these individual things. Around the same time, I was actually interviewed by Dan Harris, who has been a TV anchor for years and years, also the author of a book, 10% Happier, but he is an investigative reporter and he grilled me on this naked mind. And I remember feeling during this interview so out of my depth because I couldn't answer the questions. I knew it worked and I was getting like, literally we get 11, 12,000 emails a month and most of them are thank you letters. And I was getting all of this attention because you know, I was on things like Red Table Talk because the producer ended up not drinking anymore with my work. I was on Nightline because the producer ended up not drinking anymore. So it was very organic. These things that were happening just because of changes in people's lives. And yet when it came to me actually saying, what is the thing, like my thing, like cognitive behavioral therapy or, you know, something like that, that you could, you could take and you could articulate in the academic articulation of the methodology, I found myself really coming up short. And so I realized in about March of this year that in order for this to be something that actually changes how we look at recovery, how we, how, you know, actually has a chance of improving the rates of success at rehab centers in order for this to be something that actually goes into traditional therapeutic practices or into medical offices. Yes, a lot of that was happening grassroots. Like I have a coach who is also a doctor who's been really bringing this work into different medical offices and into doctors and educating doctors. So that stuff was happening grassroots, but it was crippled by the fact that I did not have the academic articulation of what this naked mind is and how it really works. So I worked very hard, spent a lot of time talking to um, some incredible psychologists, also just an addictionologist, an MD, other people who are very, you know, a neuroscientist, a good friend of mine who we've built a great relationship about what this is and bouncing these ideas off and getting so much, so much information and so much research. And I'm really excited to say that I have recently launched a website that is basically my paper, my, this is the thing. This is why this naked mind works in an academic articulation of why it works. It is called affective liminal psychology. Affective is the really psychological word. Affect is for emotion. And so it's really focused on our emotions first or our behavior with the premise that if you change emotion, if you change how you feel in your relationship with alcohol, you will 
much more easily be able to change your behavior on the premise that without desire, there is no temptation. And of course, then the question is, well, how in the world do you change how you feel? Because feelings feel like they happen to us. They definitely don't feel like we have any control over them. If we could change how we felt, we could just not want alcohol tomorrow. We would just not want alcohol tomorrow. Come on. So liminal is is the next term and liminal is the the in-between space uh you've probably heard it when the word subliminal means subconscious you uh, in between and so that in-between space between the conscious and subconscious and emotions and desire specifically are rooted in the subconscious so bringing those out of the subconscious into the conscious and working with that liminal space and then we actually call that affective liminal psychology or affective liminal programming because as we move through those two things there's actually a method method in order to really reprogram and rewire our subconscious belief systems so that we truly do feel differently in relationship to alcohol or in relationship to whatever substance uh, we're looking at. Because now this naked mind, again, very organically through different coaches has been used to help people with binge eating. I've written this naked mind for nicotine. So it's helping people stop smoking cigarettes. People have used it for all sorts of different habits and addictions uh, very successfully because the principles and the core work is the same. So affective liminal psychology has come out. I'm actually going to be teaching the first ever this naked mind Institute coach certification with a specialization in affective liminal psychology. I'm hoping for dates coming in February. I believe we have a wait list. So in the show notes of this podcast, if you're interested in getting on that wait list, you can certainly sign up to learn more about the Institute and how to become an affective liminal psychology coach, how to become a this naked mind coach and how to help people and, and, you know, make a living changing people's lives. It's, it's pretty incredible to be able to do that and to be able to wake up every day knowing that you're really making a difference. So those are some of the big things that are coming. And I am just super excited about this. I feel like we finally have that thing, that chassis, that Intel inside that allows this approach that kind of happened very organically for me through my own research to have the impact in the traditional systems as it had outside of the traditional systems. And most change within traditional systems does not actually come from within the traditional systems. Most change, most radical steps forward, most radical levels of change actually come from without outside of the traditional systems. So this is no different. Uh, it's really very, very exciting and very cool. And um, if you are you know, interested in this methodology in your practice, if you are a practitioner, if you're a doctor, if you're a therapist, if you're a counselor, or you're just interested in it, you can always email me, um, alp at thisnakedmind.com. That's alp for affective liminal psychology at thisnakedmind.com and take all the inquiries. I already have people who are looking at publishing papers about bringing this work into their different areas within this umbrella of affective liminal psychology. And I'm super excited and hopeful about where this can go because at its core, the way we've been addressing behavior change is we've been targeting the behavior. And so I want to take a quick minute to talk about a concept called first order versus second order change. And first order change is change that happens within the existing system, right? So if we want to change our behaviors, 
for instance, our behavior of drinking, we look at the existing system and we say, okay, we're going to focus on the behavior and things happen to focus on the behavior. We start counting days, you know, we might get chips or recognition when we make it a certain to certain milestones. We hope that if we just make it 30 days or 60 days, 90 days, hundred days a year, then all of a sudden we'll feel differently and it will be easier from that point on. That's something I hear all the time for people. If I could just make it a certain amount of time, then certainly this would get easier. It wouldn't be so hard. And so we really focus on the behavior. And uh, unfortunately, one of the side effects of that is that when a human is struggling and unable to change their own behavior, they start to get confused inside their mind and they start to tie their worthiness as a human being into the behavior they're doing. And you're a good person if you're not drinking, you're a bad person if you are drinking, if you have a problem with alcohol. And, and those feelings, those emotions actually can create more shame, more blame and perpetuate the problem. And so I, instead of behavior-based change, affective liminal psychology is really an emotion-based change. It, it has emotional primacy, which means it values emotion over behavior with the premise that has now been tested again with millions of people, that if we work on your emotion, if we work on how you feel in your relationship with alcohol, we actually don't encourage people to create a sobriety goal. We encourage people to create a, what we call an alive goal, but that goal is what would it feel like to be alive? What would your emotion-based goal look like? My goal was not that I would never drink again. In fact, I encourage people not to say that because you're not even going to know you're successful until you're dead. But my goal was that alcohol would become small and irrelevant in my life. And with that goal, there was no shame. It was all progress toward that goal. Even what I call a data point, which is a drink when you didn't want to drink, we don't use the word relapse. Even a data point was progress toward that goal. Whereas if I was to make a goal that I'm never going to drink again, having another drink would have been failure. Failure perpetuates negative emotion. And you can see how the cycle completely and totally kicks off and a lot of the pain that we experience when we're over drinking is the pain of inner, inner conflict, that pain of cognitive dissonance, that pain of one part of your brain saying, no, drinking is okay. It's what we do. It's fun. And the other part of your brain saying, you're a terrible person. You're a horrible human. I can't believe you're still drinking. Don't you care about anything? What's wrong with you? Why are you so weak? Why are you so stupid? And that internal fighting is incredibly painful. I mean, if we imagine that we were just walking in the street and we were witnessing conflict across the street, we would feel that in our bodies. If we were having conflict inside our own home, we would feel that even more. But we discount the fact that the most painful type of conflict is the conflict inside our own minds, inside our own hearts, because we've become so used to it. It's kind of like a drum set that's been playing since the beginning of time. And we don't even notice it's there until those drums stop. And we can finally have a space to breathe and feel a little bit of peace. And if you're hearing those loud drums of internal conflict and internal pain all the time, no wonder you need to drink to numb. I mean, drinking literally makes your brain cells fire slower. It makes you stupider and it numbs those thinking processes, even to the point of you can pass out and you can become totally unconscious, but it, it literally does make you less and less conscious. And so if your brain is somewhere that is just hyperactive with fighting against itself and judging itself and criticizing itself, then drinking becomes more, not less over time. And so everything with affective liminal psychology is about removing the negative emotion and exploring all of the different places and spaces where we are unintentionally creating incredibly large amounts of negative emotion within the existing paradigm. You know, the, even the thought that you're not normal if you're an alcoholic, can you imagine how much negative emotion that is, is causing? Even the word alcoholic 
creates an incredibly large amount of negative emotion. And it's not even a scientifically or medically used word anymore. Nobody uses it in those circles. They use alcohol use disorder. And so all of these, these things combine to create negative emotion. And what have we trained ourselves to do when we feel negative emotion? It's to drink. And so you can see how the cycle just goes and goes. But that is so fascinating because when you're looking at that level of change, we're not talking about a first order change where we're trying to exchange behavior within the existing paradigm of, okay, then you change your behavior, you focus on the behavior. We're talking about a second order change. And second order changes often are radically counterintuitive. It's hard for people to get their minds around the fact that in order to ultimately not drink anymore, I stop trying to stop drinking. It's very hard for people to understand. They are feel they can feel chaotic and unsafe. You know, it's hard for people to understand that I'm actually saying that you can feel differently about alcohol. People can't imagine that. You know, but we all have an example of someone we used to be in love with that we couldn't imagine living without, and now we don't even remember their birthday. Our feelings do change with the right input and information. They really can change even something we believe is so important for our lives, like many of us believe alcohol to be. And so when, when you're talking about a second order change, it's counterintuitive. It almost never comes from within the existing systems. It is incredibly scary, and there's a lot of resistance to it because the existing systems have been built and lived in the way that they've lived for so long. And, and it can be hard to understand because I'm, I'm actually, if, if the first order change is behavior-based change, I'm actually saying, forget all of that. Forget your behavior. Stop trying to stop drinking. That's what I say. Very first chapter of this naked mind. Don't stop. Read the book first. Let's do something radically different. Something that will feel counterintuitive because it felt intuitive to you. You would have been doing it anyway. You would have been fixing it already for yourself. And, and forget all that. We're going to introduce something totally new, which is we are going to prioritize how you feel over what you do. And when we do that, the studies and the research and the mountains and mountains of readers have shown that when you do that, you find really true lasting freedom, not freedom where you have to put in willpower, you have to put in effort, you have to keep going to meetings, you have to identify as an alcoholic, not that kind of freedom, freedom where you really truly believe what I believe, which is I can drink as much as I want whenever I want. I just have not wanted, honestly wanted to have a drink in almost nine years now. And that is freedom. From that place, you're not spending any more of your mental time and energy on alcohol. When I was trying to use willpower to not drink, alcohol was actually bigger in my brain than it was when I was just drinking. It created more, it took up more mental real estate for me to not be drinking because of how much I wanted to and how deprived I felt and how much I felt like I was like upset and left out. It took up more mental real estate to not be drinking and to be refraining from it using willpower, using all of my effort not to drink than it did to just be drinking. And so that is what a second order change is. And this naked mind is a second order change. And with really the introduction of my theorem of affective liminal psychology, I am so thrilled because I believe that the second order change can start really making its way into the existing systems and places and spaces. And I just couldn't be happier. So I wanted to give that big announcement of everything that's been new and different. Again, the first ever training on this will be in February of 2024 is the tentative dates. If you want to get on the wait list, that's in the show notes. And if you have any thoughts, any more information, please visit affectiveliminalpsychology.com. There's also an email address, alp at thisnakedmind.com, where you can reach out to me directly, share with me your thoughts, share with me, you know, what don't I see? 
What don't I see? I've never claimed to be anything that I'm not. I, again, I have a master's in science that has nothing to do with this topic. I am just a woman who is incredibly dedicated to research, uh, goes so deep on a topic. You know, my friend Myron, he, he likes to call me about a half inch wide and two miles deep in terms of my knowledge and understanding of behavior change. And that is my absolute passion. And so what don't I see? I'd, I'd love to know that as well. So that is my update. That is what's happening with this Naked Mind. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're ready to see how this Naked Mind can help you on your personal health and wellness journey and want to learn more, go to thisnakedmindpodcast.com to learn what your next best step is. Again, that's thisnakedmindpodcast.com. We have all of our free resources, programs, social links, and more available for you there. Plus, if you have your own naked life story to share, you can submit it there as well. Until next week, stay curious.